Okay, if you have a Bible with you, please open up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. So last week I began a new series of messages and I offered an introduction to the book of, uh, of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, my plan is that we will go through Paul's letter chapter by chapter, really verse by verse. And this morning we'll look at verses 1 through 3. As you'll see in the weeks ahead, um, it's the book is just jam-packed. I mean, even... Uh, even just the first 14 verses, if you read through those first 14 verses, it's like, oh my goodness, there's just so much stuff in here. And so, um, it's just, you know, jam-packed with inspiration. In, in most of Paul's, uh, well, in some of Paul's other books, in many of them, in, in, the, in the letters he wrote to the Corinthians, certainly the letter he wrote to the Galatians, he's addressing problems. He's speaking, he's writing to his churches that he planted, and reports have gotten back to him that, um, that there's trouble in the churches, and he's addressing those issues. He didn't do that so much in Romans. It's a, one of the more doctrinal books that we have in the New Testament. And he didn't address problems to the church at Ephesus either. Um, he was just teaching sound biblical truth, and you'll see that you know, phrase by phrase, Man, this guy had some amazing things to say. And so, you know, for, for a, a nerdy pastor like me, this is like, oh, this is fun. This is like digging into buried treasure. And I'm just, you know, pretty excited to get a chance to do this. I hope you enjoy it half as much as I do. And so this morning, I, I was, when I went through it, I thought we'd get through verses 1 through 10 today. And, you know, when I was doing that, I was like, oh, I got eight pages of notes, and we're only on verse three. I guess we'll have to wait for the rest of it <laughs> for next time. So we're going to take it a bite at a time, and I think it'll be pretty good. So we'll we'll read through the first three verses, and then we'll look at verse uh, each verse one at a time. Hey, as I'm preaching this morning, would you have your spiritual eyes and ears open and listen for the Holy Spirit? I'd like to leave time at the end of my message to see if there are any words of knowledge, and if there are, we'll give you an opportunity to share it, and then based on those words, we'll, we'll minister to people. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me read verse 3 again. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, for the power. That's in your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. That we would know the truth. That the truth would have its full impact on who we are as people. 
And that truth would set us free. Make it so, God. In Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, let's begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the way that scrolls were stored uh, back in that day, it was common practice of that time to offer just such an introduction at the beginning of a message. Right? And we write a letter nowadays, you write an email, you might write it to, you know, you know, hi Nadine, and at the end you'll you'll have your name. But you wouldn't have you wouldn't have your name in just such a communication, you know, at the very top. But because of the way that a scroll would be unrolled, as it was open, they could tell who it was from and who it was written to. And so this was common practice in the day. And so Paul introduces himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. What's an apostle? Well, Strong's Concordance defines the word apostolos, to mean a delegate or a messenger. One sent forth with orders. Right? A delegate or a messenger, one sent forth with orders. Biblically, biblically the, the title apostle was given to Jesus' chief disciples. Uh, the 11 disciples um, after his resurrection you know, less, uh, one, one less Judas who hung himself. The eleven disciples, Matthias, Judas' replacement, all called apostles. And Paul, uh, an apostle. This, this is the title that was given uh, to these men. Nowadays, um, the title apostle has come, has, has uh, emerged. That's a good word. <laughs> That's better than saying has reared its ugly head, right? That's better than saying. It, the title apostle has emerged uh, in recent years. Um, I personally, I think the title is misused and overused. Um, just because you put it, a title on a business card does not make you one, right? And um, in my humble opinion, I think they're true. I think there are true modern-day apostles, and you don't need the title to be one. If you function as apostle, you don't have to tell anyone you're apostle. They will tell you. They will tell you that you're an apostle. But in my humble opinion, I believe that modern-day apostles, and they do exist, function less as the CEOs of a corporation, and operate more likely as loving fathers or grandfathers in a family. I think that's what a true, the heart of a true apostle would be like. Loving and wise fathers or grandfathers. Now Paul, he was the real deal, right? He called himself an apostle and certainly the, the title was legitimate. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He serves Jesus Christ. He's Jesus' messenger to the first century church, truly sent by Jesus. You read Paul's story in Acts chapter 9, how he was writing, I mean, he was out to do bad things, to destroy the church. And God interrupted Paul's world 
because God had orders. He had, he had orders for Paul, and he wanted Paul to be his messenger. God's ways are not our ways. You know, guys, you could look at Paul prior to that encounter with God, and no one would have picked him. No one would have picked him. I mean, not even close. They were terrified of him. Matter of fact, even after he had an encounter with God and God picked him, Christians were terrified. God's, God had to speak to Ananias to go to Paul and pray for him. And, and he's like, oh God, are you really sure you want me to do that? Don't you know who this guy is? He kills people like me. Right? But that's who God picked. His ways are not always. Nadine and I were talking just the other day. I've had the privilege of serving a bunch of different churches across North America. I have never been the first choice. Every time we were chosen to serve a church, we were chosen because somebody else said no. <laughs> but that was God's choice, and he put me in place. So Paul is a messenger of God because God picked him. And God sent him with orders as his messenger. And the orders he sent Paul with were the gospel of grace. Read anything by Paul. Read Galatians. Read his letter to the church in Ephesus. And you'll see that he's all about grace. And his apostleship truly was, as he writes, by the will of God. It was not Paul's will that made him apostle. It wasn't the will of any other man or woman that made him an apostle, it was the will of God. There, there were no other men or women that would have said, oh, you know Paul, the guy's traveling around, he stoned Stephen, and he's traveling around town arresting Christians. You know what we should do in this new upstart religion? We should make him one of our key leaders. That sounds like a great idea. You know, That's exactly what God did. <laughs> His ways are not our ways. I love that about God. God's so good. We had gone back down to New York recently because my brother passed away, went to the to funeral, and afterwards everybody's hanging out at Dad's house to have a conversation, and and something came up about what the name Zuwaki means. <laughs> And my father had never heard it. I'd studied it, and apparently my, my sister had looked into it as well. And I said, oh yeah, I said, Zawaki was an insult. When people would, immigrants would come through Ellis Island to enter the United States, <clears throat> um, when the processors could not pronounce the unusual Polish names, they would say, ah, Zawaki. And that basically was an insult. Well, that's, that's the crazy person in town. Right? That's the troublemaker in town. I'm thinking, this is who God chooses. God chooses Zawaki. He chooses Zawaki. He chooses Paul. That's by his will. Are you hearing me on that? I feel like I can't get off that point. God picks people we wouldn't pick. Matter of fact, God will pick people and we'll scratch our head and even be irritated by it. And then it wasn't like Paul became a wallflower. Right? We studied through Galatians. He Galatians tells us that God chose Paul, and then later on Paul challenges Peter to his face. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Peter's the guy, man. He was like in Jesus' inner circle. 
On the day of Pentecost, Peter is the man. He's standing up and he's... And Paul, with his background, has the audacity to challenge Peter. He did. And you know what? Paul's right. God's ways are not our ways. They are so much higher than our ways. What I love about Paul's story is that when God looked down and saw Paul traveling to Damascus because he, could, he was looking for more Christians to arrest and put in prison, God looked at the Apostle Paul and saw Paul at the end of his journey and chose him. He didn't, he didn't lock Paul into the picture of who he was right here, right now. What a hot mess he was. But he could see Paul at the end of his journey. He said, I picked Paul. You know why that excites me? <laughs> Gives me hope. He picked him. That's why he could pick me. He looks at me when I'm a hot mess. And he doesn't pigeonhole me. He says, I got hope for Tom. I got plans for Tom. He's got plans for you. You wake up this morning, you feel like a hot mess. You, you feel like you disqualified yourself yesterday because you did something stupid? I've had those days. God picked Paul. The guy was murdering Christians. He picked Paul. That's why it gives me hope he could pick me, he could pick you. So Paul is truly an apostle by the will of God because God chose him. Not by man's will. Clearly not by man's will. So first Paul introduces himself, and then he identifies the recipients of, of this letter to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now this letter was truly intended for the people in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was a very important city to Paul the Apostle. He'd spent three years there with them. got to tell you, that's an unusually long amount of time for someone who has an itinerant ministry. Usually you go in, you know, it's kind of a hit and run. You might spend a few weeks, maybe even a few months, but three years, that's a long time for someone like Paul to spend in one city. You see, Paul not only served as Ephesus' uh, apostolic leader, he was also an apostolic pastor. He planted that church and he pastored the church in Ephesus for all those three years. Just a little side note. I've noticed over the years that oftentimes God will take giftings and he pairs them up. Rarely have I met a person that has just one singular uh, gift that they, that they excel in exclusively. Usually there's like a primary gift and a secondary gift. And for Paul, I think it was apostolic and pastoral. And I think the Apostolic gifting was primary for him, and the pastoral was secondary because of his love for the people. Now, for me, it's, it's, it's a different mix. It's, it's pastoral and it's prophetic, and you guys have gotten to see you know, both sides of that. I think at different times in my life and different places and settings, the gifts have kind of done this. There have been seasons in my life where the prophetic seemed to be taking the lead, and then other times where... Uh, the the pastoral is and so be encouraged you know maybe there's more than just one singular gift in operation in you right? 
So Paul is operating not only as an apostolic leader, but an apostolic pastor. And he made Ephesus a hub for power evangelism for the three years uh, that he was there. Um, you can read more about that in Acts chapter 19. Now, some early manuscripts of this letter um, have a blank space where the words in Ephesus uh, appear in your Bibles. Um, it's believed, I think accurately so, that this was what they call a circular, circular letter, meaning that it passed around from church to church. And, um, and most probably, um, it went to Ephesus first. And then as copies were rewritten, they would just leave the blank uh, where the city was so that each town could make their own application. To that end, I think it would be appropriate if we added our city into that blank space. We could say, this letter is written to God's holy people in Charlottetown, to God's holy people on Prince Edward Island, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so, like with all of Scripture, I think especially the New Testament writers, and this letter in particular, you can make personal application to what's in there. Matter of fact, I want you to. I hope that as we go through it, you'll be inspired to. And so he writes in verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the passionate clarion call of Paul's ministry. Our study through Galatians revealed just how crazy passionate Paul was about the gospel of grace. Read through that letter. He is fired up in that letter. This is, you know, this isn't, there was, he was not being polite. <laughs> it wasn't your typical church speak in his letter to the Galatians. He was raw. Matter of fact, I think some of the translate, translators cleaned it up a bit. You know, for the for re religious sensibilities of those who might read it later on. But Paul was really ticked off at the Galatians. Passionate about grace. He was fired up because they were trying to add law to grace. They were trying to add religious rules and regulations, requirements, expectations, demands on top of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is pure grace. Just got him so irritated. Paul's all about the gospel of grace. And here, in his letter to the Ephesians, he makes it his opening statement. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This greeting is typical for Paul because he absolutely knew the essential place that grace and peace held in the life of a believer. That receiving God's grace absolutely came before anything else. We don't make our way to God. The incarnation is truth that God made his way to us. Grace precedes everything. Our ability to even say yes to his invitation is because he's extended extravagant grace to us. Now, if he's extended such great grace to us, ought we not extend 
such great grace to one another. I think we should. So Paul knew the absolutely essential place of grace and peace from God in the believer's life. And that receiving God's grace truly does come before anything else. Grace and not works are the entry point. First grace, and then we walk in peace. Commentator David Guzik, I like, to, I like David Guzik's works. There's a website called Blue Letter Bible, and it's one of the two or three resources, I'll, online resources I'll use when I prepare my messages. I mean, I have a vast library at home, but sometimes it's easier to go click, 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 and to search through my shelves to find the right thing I'm looking for. And so on Blue Letter Bible, they have a commentator, a modern-day commentator named David Guzik, and I often go to him. Um, I think David has a tilt away from the gifts of the Spirit in, in his approach to interpreting the Scriptures. And so on that point, we would disagree. Um, however, the rest of it, I think it's just solid stuff. And so... Like with anybody I read, I'll eat the meat and throw away the bones. I think with David Guzik, there's a lot of meat and just a little bit of bones that come in probably from a, an anti-gifts of the Holy Spirit bias. Anyway, I like to quote him every once in a while. And I think there's a good quote here today. <clears throat> so concerning verses 3 to 14, this is what David writes. In ancient Greek, the language Paul originally wrote in, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 through Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, form one long sentence. As an opera has an overture setting the tone for all the melodies that will follow, so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, sets the tone for the rest of, the, of uh, Ephesians. Paul loves his run-on sentences. I could imagine that uh, early translators just, you know, had fits trying to figure out where does a comma go in? Do we need a semicolon? <laughs> How about a period of once in a while? <laughs> um, so beginning with verse 3, Paul offers a litany of profound truths all in this giant one sentence. And the weeks to come, I'll break it down in bite-sized pieces. But he's offering significant spiritual truth after significant spiritual truth. Verse 3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So first he offers praise to God the Father, and then he makes this impacting statement. Now if you study the word and you come across a sentence like this, I don't know, it arrests me. It captures my attention. It says to me, there's something more here. I have to dig deeper to understand just what's being communicated. So first he offers praise to God the Father, and then he makes this impact, impacting statement, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean that he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, let's break it down into three parts. Who has blessed us? Note that this is past tense. It's a done deal. We're already blessed. 
It's not, he didn't say who will bless us, right? That if you jump through enough hoops, and if you attend church regularly, and if you give money, and if you, if you participate in our programs, then the blessings will come. No, none of that. There are no prerequisites to this. That's, that's the nature of grace. It's not, these blessings are not based upon how good of a Christian you are. Or how well you perform. Or what you need to do. Who has blessed us? It's a done deal. We're already blessed. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has already blessed us. I like what Charles Spurgeon writes concerning this. He says, we're not sitting here groaning and crying and fretting and worrying and questioning about our own salvation. He has blessed us and therefore we will be blessed. God's already blessed us. And take note of the word us here. I believe that when Paul writes that he has blessed us, and you have to take in the context of his other writings to understand this, that he's not, he's not speaking to, to Jews only. See, from a Jewish mindset, of, they always believed that they were blessed. They felt like they were blessed, and that they were special, and that they were called, and that they were predestined. They were God's holy people. They were set apart. They always felt like they were blessed of God. That they were unique and separate and apart from all others. But when Paul is writing, and certainly to the church in Ephesus, which was a, a, a melting pot of different cultures, he's saying that this blessing is for everyone, Jew and non-Jew. This is for Jews and Gentiles. He's blessed all of us. The Jews were proud of the fact that they were God's chosen people. They saw, it, they saw it as a high honor. And Paul's writing that this honor, this sense of being chosen, of being blessed and called and predestined, was now given to all Christians, no matter what your religious background was prior. And he's blessed us, he has blessed us, in the heavenly realms. Heavenly realms as compared to earthly realms. Spiritual as compared to natural. Now we all have earthly blessings. We all have natural earthly blessings. All of us here, anyway. We all have a place to live. We have heat and we have hot water. And, right? We all have clothes on our backs this morning. It's a good chance we all ate breakfast and we're all going to probably, we're going to have a potluck afterwards. We're, gonna, we're all going to eat lunch today. We have earthly blessings. But these are not the blessing. And they're good. They're all really good. I know the food, the potluck's going to be good. But these are not the blessings Paul's making reference to here. Paul's communicating that we have spiritual blessings given by God the Father from the realm of heaven. And it gets better. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we have God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing 
in Christ. Not only do we have spiritual blessings, and most of us would be able to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, I've been a Christian for a while, I've got this spiritual blessing or that spiritual blessing in my life, but that's not what Paul's writing. He says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now get this. If we believe, as the scripture says, that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, that he abides in us, and we actually do abide in him, then all the blessings that are in Christ are in you. And they're in me, because they're all in him. Does that make sense? Whatever is in Christ is also in us. Everything. Again, allow me to quote Charles Spurgeon. He writes, Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. <coughs> but our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest and richest, richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. So good, right? So good. I looked at a few different translations on on first uh, on Ephesians chapter one verse three. Kind of couple I want to share with you. Sometimes the way the, they, they turn a phrase uh, can help us have greater understanding. And so this is from the Berean Literal Bible. It's a, it's, it's a close literal translation in the English from the original language. And this is what they write. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one having blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. That's a little bit kind of flows a little bit better, right? The one having blessed us, past tense, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I'm thinking there's some amazing spiritual blessings in the realm of the Spirit, in the realm of heaven. And if nothing else, it's saying that we have, we have full access to all of it. And I'm, you know, I'm just radical enough to truly believe that. I love this new translation called the Passion Translation. And uh, this is their take on verse 3. It says, Everything heaven contains has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All because He sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all of our hearts. Let me read that to you again. Because everything I've tried to say to now, I think they kind of say it in one bite. He says it really well. Every, everything heaven contains has already been lavished upon us as a love gift 
from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because He sees us as wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all our hearts. Right? Isn't that kind of what I'm saying about Paul? He saw Paul wrapped in Christ. Right? He saw Paul at the end of his journey. And then he opens heavens and he visits him. Who of us wouldn't enjoy having a visitation from Jesus here on earth? Isn't that amazing? And so what did Paul do to work himself up to earn a visitation from heaven? Was it prayer and fasting? Was it the money he donated? Was it his time and energy? He was doing all bad things. He did nothing to earn a visitation. God just picked him, right? I mean, who wouldn't want Jesus just to appear in your room and say, hey, let's talk. Let me tell you about the rest of your life. This is what I've called you to do. Well, just sit there and allow you to just to freak out for a little bit as you looked at him, right? How could he do that? Because the Father saw Paul wrapped in Jesus. He sees you wrapped in Jesus. He sees me wrapped in Jesus. So all the spiritual gifts of heaven are lavished upon the children of God. All of them. All the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of heaven is lavished upon the children of God. All of the spiritual activity of heaven is lavished upon the children of God. All the spiritual beings of heaven are lavished upon the children of God. Guys, we absolutely were created to live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the great crime of Christianity for the last 500 years is that we've been content with information and instruction and we have not gone on to live those supernatural lives in the power of the Spirit. Our Western worldview mindset values information over experience. Nadine has a box at home and it contains all the love letters I wrote up when we were dating. She loves those love letters. We've been together almost 40 years. February will be 40 years that we're together. And she's held on to the, those letters all of her life. They're valuable to her. They're precious to her. And every once in a while, she'll take them out and read them. When our daughter was getting ready to to be married, she read some to our daughter. My daughter just laughed, couldn't believe how, how corny daddy could be, right? But I tell you what, if the house is on fire, Nadine would save me before she saved the letters. I hope, right? You'd save me. <laughs> she loves those letters. We ought to love the Word of God. We should know the Word of God. We should treasure it. But we should know the God of the book. We should know Him. Let's not be content with information anymore. Let's be content with nothing less than to experience God for ourselves. 
And he is so big and he's so vast that it could be tailor-made and unique to every individual in this room, every individual on the planet. That's how awesome he is. And so sometimes I tell you the stories of how I've encountered God, not so that you can mimic mine or imitate them. No. That it would spur you on to realize that there's more. And that you could explore experiencing God for yourself and exactly what that might look like. So I ask you this question. In light of this, what is reality? What truly is reality? You know, we've been trained and conditioned all our lives that reality is what we can see and smell and hear and taste and touch, right? If we can, if we can explore it with our five senses, that's reality. I feel the ground beneath my feet, right? I hold on to that table. That table is real. But don't you know, as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's a reality all about us that is, that is greater than the reality we can see and taste and touch and smell. What's the more real reality, the temporal or the eternal, the earthly or the heavenly? The natural or the spiritual? I'd say it's the eternal. It's the heavenly. I'd say that the spiritual is the more real reality. Why? Because it's going to outlast all this stuff. Right? If we're lucky, we live 80, 90 years. That's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. That's nothing compared to eternity. Even... However old you think the universe is, compare even that grand number, and it's nothing compared to eternity. The more real reality is the reality that lasts beyond. And that's the spiritual reality, and it's available to you right now. It's all around you, all the time, including right this second. And if that's true, will we not be more accustomed to it? I, sometimes I feel like I'm fighting against the tide. The tide says that you know, the, the most important thing is the natural. right? It's the temporal. It's what we can perceive by our senses, our natural senses. That's, that's what hits us in this world. Wave after wave after wave. And I'm pushing against that. And I'm saying, no, there's a greater reality. Hear me. Take my words to heart. Oh, that we would be more comfortable with it now. That we would be accustomed to it now. Heck, it would be a huge win if we just believe it now. <laughs> but get this, you can interact with it now. I know you can. Because I have. And if you wrestle with this truth, that you are blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ, if you struggle with the concept of a realm other than the earthly natural realm, and that all those blessings are already yours, then I tell you, if you trust me, 
then believe this, I've been there. I've seen it. I've touched it. I've experienced it. There's more. There is a powerful reality all about us, one more real than we can hear and see and smell and taste and touch with our natural senses. And not only is that true, in that realm, we've already hit the lottery. (laughs) Because in that place, we are already blessed with everything that's in Christ Jesus. Everything. It's truly astonishing. Guys, this world is but a shadow and a vapor in comparison to the spiritual realm. And I want to tell you, yet again, that God is so much better than most of us have ever believed. He's really good. And he loves to lavish his gifts upon his children. So let me end with just just some personal thoughts. Nearly 15 years ago, God began to reopen my eyes to the realm of the Spirit. A gift I had from childhood had been shut down. It had been shelved. And after some 25 years of almost complete dormancy, every once in a while, some of these gifts would pop up in my life. After 25 years, I began to see again. I once was blind. But now I see. And to steal a a phrase from a good friend of mine who's now in heaven, it was scary wonderful. When God began to open my eyes again and I could see into the realm of the Spirit, it was scary wonderful. Freaked me out, man. There was definitely a learning curve. And so for... Some 25 years as a Christian, 15 of them as a pastor, the heavenly realm became something more for me than just part of my theology. The heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, became an experiential reality for me. I began to have supernatural experiences with heavenly beings in the realm of the spirit. And to quote C.S. Lewis, (laughs) a man who travels into another world does not return unchanged. These experiences changed me. And one of the things it's done for me, it's revealed to me just how good God is. How loving he is. I have traveled. (laughs) I've had experiences. And I've been changed. I can tell you. I'm not telling you to brag. I want to provoke you to jealousy in the most positive of ways. I've sat in a magnificent private library with God the Father. Just the two of us. Amazing place I've been to again and again. On more than one occasion, in the realm of the Spirit, I've walked along a beach with Jesus. Side by side, he talked to me. Sitting under a palm tree, he washed my feet. Holy cow. Boom, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Rocked my world. 
There are times of great pain. I'd have an experience with Jesus, and he would comfort me. He would hold me and encourage me. I'm sure this has never happened to you, but I had a season in my life where Christians did awful things to me and wounded me terribly. I wasn't sure if I recover. And then Jesus met with me on one of these walks along the beach. And he took my pain away. I have flown with the Holy Spirit through the rings of Saturn. He's taken me to, to lands that and places that I'm not sure exist in the natural realm. And we've gone on great adventures together. And the adventures would last for days. I'd meet with God and he'd take me this one place and we'd meet again the next day and the story would pick up right where we left off. Kind of like pausing the DVR. But all I could take for that day, I'm overwhelmed in my spirit. And the next day we pick up where the adventure left off. God is that good. And I've discovered that the realm of the spirit is not nearly as fragile as we might think it is. Oh, we have to have the perfect setting and the light should be this and if there's candles, that's awesome. We can feel it. He's not nearly as fragile as we think he is. He's pretty resilient and accommodating. I've been to a marvelous place that God called the treasury room. I've walked on the streets of heaven. I've experienced God. I've experienced heaven. And I'm never the same again because of it. Now I know that others have questioned my experiences. They've questioned me to my face. They've questioned me behind my back. <laughs> I know that others may doubt my experiences. They may even mock and ridicule my experiences. That's their, they have freedom to do that. But you know what? They can never take it away from me. I know what I know that happened. <laughs> my daughter is a mental health counselor in Bellingham, Washington. Apple of my eyes, so proud of her. And she, she's, all, she's well familiar with that, the visions and the supernatural experiences Dad has had. And I remember saying to her once, I said, Oh man, I bet some of your colleagues would have a field day with somebody like me. And some of the stories I tell. And she's like, you know, Dad? She says, I work with with uh, pretty broken people all the time. And she said, for folks who are schizophrenic or they see things that aren't really there, she said, some of the things that are common across the board in their lives is they can't hold down a job. They're not able to maintain healthy relationships. They can't pay their bills. They can't function in the society. They can barely bathe themselves and able to function on a daily basis. She said, Dad, you're able to do all those things. She says, she says they may find it unusual, but they really wouldn't think you were crazy. I was like, oh man, that, that kind of helped me. Yeah. I'm thinking, because there's some Christians that think I'm pretty crazy. <laughs> well, thank you, sweetheart. I'll remember that. We don't think you're crazy. Thank, thanks, Mike. So, people, they may not believe it, they may ridicule it, they may mock it, they cannot take it away from me. They're mine. They are my portion of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms.
was these experiences that God gave me. And I think for the 25 years it was on the shelf, I think that all I should have been experiencing it all then. But our culture and our society and the religious groups I grew up in had no box for it. And so I had to wait for another time. And I'm so glad God did this for me. I'm eternally grateful. And let me tell you this. My name is Zawacki. I'm the crazy person. Truly, I'm the troublemaker. Ask all the other churches I passed. <laughs> God did these things, does these things for me. Not because I'm better than you. God knows I'm not. Not because I'm some type of super Christian, because I'm not. I'm just a regular guy. I'm a kid who grew up in Brooklyn. I'm a fat kid from Brooklyn on his way to heaven. That's all I am. That is all I am. And I believe that God's used me as a testimony to the rest of you. That if he can do it with this guy, he can do it with me too. That's the truth. That is the truth. I'm grateful. And I just stand here today as a testimony that there indeed are spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms that we are already blessed with in Christ Jesus because the book says so. Because Paul said so. We as Christians believe what's in this book. It's the God's honest truth. There's more for you. There's more for you. Can the band come back up? Prepare to lead us in the final song. Let me pray for you guys this morning. Oh God. Oh God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your kindness, for your, your great and lavish love. That we indeed already are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the realm of heaven in Christ Jesus. I thank you Lord for the truth of your word. Now, Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends today. Open our eyes. Open our minds. Open our hearts, oh God. And make these truths personal. Make this our personal reality. That the realm of heaven, the real reality, the spiritual realm, would become ours. That we'd own it, that we'd experience it. Lord, I pray that you, the, the lavish grace that you've poured out on this crazy kid from Brooklyn, that you would pour it out on my friends. That they would experience you in unique ways, Lord, designed just for who they are and the relationship you share with them. That they too would experience you. Do it for them, Lord. Do it for every single one of them. I ask this in Jesus' name. So as these guys let, lead us in a final song, well, before that, do we have any words of knowledge? I want to leave it open. Did anybody have a word from the Lord that they, they felt like they wanted to share? Maybe a sense of someone who needs to be healed or, or anything like that? Any words today? I like it when it's interactive and you guys get to add. Mike, you got something? It's not really word, Tom, but... You need a microphone? I, uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone for your prayers 